0: Good morning, it's so good to see everybody. If you have your Bibles and you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 is what we'll be uh, looking at today, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Starting in verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. This morning we come to you, and we just need you. God, we need your help to understand your word. We need your help as we fight temptation in our lives. We need your help to help us understand what you want to have to say to us this morning. And We need your peace. So we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So as some of you know, I am an English teacher in Butler County High School. And one of the policies or one of the procedures, one of the rules that we have that our principal has is anytime that students come into the the school building, they have to take off their hat. And me personally, I'm not a big fan of the rule, but as a teacher, that's one of the things that I have to enforce. And so one morning, I remember this was last year, towards the end of the year, and the kids, and those of you that are teachers know, towards the end of the year, usually the last two weeks, the kids get a little bit rowdy, things like that, and that's okay. But there was a particular student. He walked in and I asked him politely to take his hat off and he said no. And then I asked him again nicely and he he continued to say no and he kept walking. And I found myself, I would say, tempted to say something that was not very professional, not very nice to say to a student. And I called him over there and I I made him give me his hat because that was the school policy. It was kind of an awkward conversation. He gave me his hat and I said he would get it back at the end of the day. But maybe you've been in a situation like that in your life where you feel tempted to say something that you know you probably shouldn't say and you kinda have to hold your tongue just a little bit in life. But there's a lot of temptations that we face every single day. Every single day, husbands are tempted to cheat on their wives. Every single day, CEOs across the country and in other countries are tempted to use money that they shouldn't be using and bezel money. Every day, politicians are tempted to bend the rules, sometimes in their favor. Every single day, teenagers are tempted to give in to peer pressure, to give in to things that they know they shouldn't do. And the fact is, we've all been tempted. We've all been tempted by things in life. The worst thing that ever happened in your life was either the result of someone giving in to temptation or just the result of the world being a sinful place whatever that was in your life, whatever experience that was, was not from God. It was from sin. So I think it's important to think about that question. like, What is temptation? It's one of those churchy words. I think it is helpful sometimes to give a definition. So temptation is the desire to do something especially wrong or unwise. So when you think about desire, you think about it's a feeling, it's an impulse that you have in your heart, in your life, To do something not righteous, but unrighteous. Sadly, we all struggle with that as fallen creatures, as fallen people. We struggle with that in our lives. So you might be thinking, where does temptation come from? And if you look through the Bible, there's several examples, several answers that it gives. One place is in Ephesians 6.11. So temptation can come from the devil, like the passage we read just a minute ago. From the prince of darkness himself. Can also come from our own sinful desires. Romans seven eighteen, Paul talks about the inner conflict between the man, the old man and the new man that's going on inside your heart, between your flesh and between the spirit. Can also come from the world. Galatians one four. We know that the world outside, the, the world and society at large in general is filled with temptations. These are seven common temptations. Now some people have called these the seven deadly sins through church history. I'm just going to call them the seven common temptations. And I'm not going to walk through all these because you all have seen these before. But there's lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. And we all struggle with these at some point in our lives. Now I think the, the fact is that most people, most of us have at least one or two main temptations or core temptations. And some people have called this a vice. So vice is basically an object where you, you have a, two pieces of metal that you try to squeeze together to hold something really tightly. Some people have also called this a stronghold, or something in your life that holds you, uh, holds you captive. And so we all have maybe one or two. I don't know what, what the one is for you in your life. I know what ones are for me in my life. We all have one or two main temptations that hold us back in our life. So that makes me think of the question, what happens if you don't deal with those temptations in your life? And the case could be made that there's a lot of things that could happen. There's a lot of things that could go wrong. There's a lot of things that could transpire from temptation in your life that you don't deal with correctly. But the first one that comes to mind for me is a severed relationship with God. Temptation that's left undealt with, that's left alone, eventually leads to sin, which leads to separation from God, our Creator. The person, the being, the the one that loves you more than anyone else in the whole world. And next is fractured relationships with others. So you think about divorces that happen between the spouse. You think about relationships between uh, kids and their parents. You think about Teenage relationships, dating relationships, workplace relationships, all of these relationships can be fractured when temptation leads to sin. And the fact is, if you're not careful, temptation can pull you further and further away from Christ. And as Christians, that's both a little bit scary, a little bit of a warning, but also comforting in the fact that we know that Christ is with us when we go through those temptations. But enough of the warnings, I think, now how are we supposed to deal with temptation I think that's really the core of Matthew chapter 4 what Jesus is going through what he is showing us as an example how does the Bible say that we are actually supposed to deal with that and another question you could ask is has God given us a way to deal with it is there an answer because a lot of times we don't really think or believe that there actually is an answer to that question so again, in Matthew chapter four, one through eleven, when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, I think we're going to find sort of a model of what he did, what we can apply to our lives. So it says here that Jesus was in the wilderness. Now, I don't know about you. I can't speak for you, but for me, the woods play a special place in my life. The wilderness does, at least. The one thing is the woods. The wilderness is—it's a quiet place where you can get away from the busyness of life. If you work 40 hours a week, you hear uh, kids talking a lot at school, you have coworkers that might stress you out, and sometimes traffic in Bowling Green can be quite annoying, and so the woods is a place where you can get away, get away from Facebook and Instagram and your cell phone. There's a slower pace of life, and you can draw closer to God. Now, some people can't stand being out in the woods, and that's fine. but. It also makes me think of the memories I have with my dad. Growing up, my dad was really into camping. He was in the Boy Scouts, and he camped every day in the summer. He had a particular corner in my uh, grandparents' property on the far corner where Dad would camp every single summer. And when he got older, he joined the Army, and he was shipped off to Saudi Arabia during Desert Storm, and he was camping out in the desert. There And I remember Dad telling sort of horror stories about his experiences camping. And my brother and I have a lot of good memories camping at Mammoth Cave Campground with Dad. But the fact is, Jesus was not at a Mammoth Cave Campground. Jesus was in the Judean wilderness where there was wild animals. He was exposed to the elements. He didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have anything. He wasn't with anyone. He was completely by himself. And it says, at that time, the devil came. There's a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. Basically, what that book is, is it's sort of a, a notional idea or a theoretical idea of what the demons are like when they talk to each other as they're tempting other Christians. And you get this idea that there's a hierarchy in the demon world. There's Satan, and then he has other demons that follow after him. But Jesus is not being tempted by all of the other demons. He's being tempted by the Prince of darkness. See? Hebrews 4.15 says Jesus was tempted in every way like we are, but He never sinned. You might say, well, why, why is that important? One reason is because He was the perfect sacrifice. He never sinned. He never gave in to temptation. And so when He died on the cross, He was a perfect sacrifice for us. But verse 2 also says that he was hungry. And as somebody who pays a little close attention to words, I really find that to be sort of an understatement. Because it says after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience with fasting in my life, but I have missed a few meals from time to time. And you know what that feels like. Your blood pressure can go up. You're more irritable. You're more likely to be uh, what they call hangry especially men if you don't get enough protein in your life, and your diet. But Jesus went 40 days and 40 nights without eating. And again, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, but it's also been said that there's no one hungrier on the planet than a woman after she gives birth, after she goes through labor, because she's gone through a lot in her life, and she's extremely hungry, and that first meal after the, the birth is, is a feast. But you get the idea that Jesus is incredibly weak, he's incredibly tested, and he's tired. And that's when the devil comes. So the tempter came up to him and he says, almost in an insulting way, he says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So if you will, kind of just imagine with me, he comes up to Jesus and he says, look, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, then you created all this. You created the the uh, bush over there, the stones here, and it looks like you're pretty hungry, so just turn these stones into bread and then your problem will be solved. But Jesus answers, He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so I find it interesting that Jesus, when He was uh, fasting from food, He wasn't intaking any food in His life. He wasn't He was fasting from friends. He wasn't with friends. He was fasting from society. He was away from the culture. But he wasn't fasting from the Word. He was filling himself with the Word. Jesus is the Word. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word was with God. But Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. That's the verse he quotes right there talking about living by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But the story continues. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. One of the things I do with my students is I try to get them to put, them, put themselves in the story. And so if you will, use your imagination with me. When I went to Germany, when I was in freshman, my freshman year in Germany, uh, we went over there to see my uncle and we stayed with him for a while. We went to several different places. But one of the places that we went to was Paris. And it was really... It was a great time. We got to tour around the city. We, we popped in and saw a few paintings in the Louvre. We tasted a few croissants, but we also did the basically the obligatory visit to the Eiffel Tower, that landmark that everyone always talks about. And I remember being up there and we were looking out and you could see the whole city. It was really cool. I was up there with my grandparents and my uncle. And there was a bunch of strangers, a bunch of Parisians uh, talking in other language we were up there and it was, it was a beautiful time. It was, it was great. And I remember just looking out and you would see different landmarks. You would see different <coughs> statues from the Renaissance era and things like that. And there's something about being up there on a high point where you have a different vantage point. But the fact is that Jesus was not with his family. He wasn't with his friends. He wasn't with his uncle. And he wasn't looking at Paris. He was standing next to the most despicable, evil character, the most vile, Terrible uh, force ever. And he's standing up there at the highest point and he gets insulted. Satan says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. See, the thing is that the devil knows the Bible. He knows the Scriptures. The devil quotes from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. The thing is, he misquotes it. He misunderstands it. And Jesus, being the master teacher that he is, rebukes him. Jesus answered, It is also written... Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. And again, the devil took Him to a very high mountain and showed Him all the kingdoms of the world. So you get this idea that the devil is persistent. He's very persistent in trying to take down Jesus because he knew if he can take down Jesus bring God crumbling down. He can defeat the system that He's been trying to rebel against from eternity. He says, He takes Him to another mountain, another high place, and He shows Him all the kingdoms of this world. Jesus looks out again. And remember, the Bible says that the devil is the prince of the power of the air. So he does have power in the world, but he's on a leash. He is restrained. He says, I'll give this to you if you will bow down and worship Me. That's what the devil wanted Jesus to do. I remember being in uh, France again. And it's the only time I've been out of the country except for the recent time I went with the National Guard. And we visited the grave of Napoleon Bonaparte. Now, I'm not a huge history person, but those of you that remember Napoleon remember that he was a really short, uh, stubby guy. And he was known for being very arrogant, very crass. He was an emperor. He tried to just basically take over all kinds of areas using military power. And at the end of his life, they basically banished him because he was crazy. But whenever he was buried, he was buried basically beneath the earth. And his grave, he, in his will, he wanted them to scoot him over to the left and he put a mirror there. And then he had a railing up on the front of his grave so that everybody that would come to see his grave would have to bow down to King Napoleon. And I remember being there and my grandpa said, ah, he's not worth bowing down to. And Jesus says, I'm not going to bow down to you. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy again, this time chapter 6, verse 13. It says, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. The fact is, human beings, we were created to worship God. From the beginning uh, of creation itself, God created us. He placed us in the garden. He gave us a mind. He gave us a heart. He gave us emotions and a spirit to worship Him. And human beings were the only creatures in the world that make art, that come up with songs, that write poems to try to describe beauty. I love animals, but animals don't do that. Human beings are made specifically, uniquely in the image of God. In my opinion, the reason that atheists enjoy concerts is because the remnant of the image of God in them is crying out for something more than life itself. So maybe it's a rock concert or a heavy metal concert. It might not be a Christian concert. But that's scratching that itch because they're longing for something more. They're longing to worship God. But Satan refuses to bow down to God, to Jesus. The book of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And if you flip that, it's also true. The rejection of the Lord is the beginning of all foolishness. That's why Satan is called the father of lies. So, one question I wanted to ask you all and ask myself is do we have a fear of God? Do we have a reverence for God? respect for God? Do we have a love for God that makes us want to worship Him? But then the final phrase here, it says in verse 11, then the devil left Him and angels came and attended Him. That phrase angels came, it's very interesting to me because I don't know about you, but whenever I read the Bible, I always, uh, when it says that they helped Jesus, they came and attended to Him, I always thought that was maybe some, something almost a slight to Jesus, saying that Jesus needed help or that he, needed, uh, he couldn't do it on His own. He needed help. But the truth is that the angels were created by Christ and they were created to serve Christ. And I think maybe when Luke was writing this, he was doing a little bit of foreshadowing because in Luke chapter 22, actually, again, Matthew's writing this. But it's possible that there was a little bit of foreshadowing going on depending on how much he knew of the other writings. But in Luke 22, verse 43, when Jesus was in Gethsemane, whenever He was in the garden the night that He was going to be betrayed, whenever He was praying to God, Luke includes a detail that says that He was sweating blood from His his brow. Before they put the crown on He was sweating blood. And His disciples were asleep and he was in the wilderness and he was by himself and it says in Luke 22 verse 43 that angels attended to him. And it doesn't say how many angels, it just says angels with an S so it's plural. But there's another place in the Bible that Jesus said if I wanted to I could call a legion of angels. 10,000 and 10,000 angels could come right now at any moment and come for me and do what I say and do what I will. But I think it's a A comforting image that when the devil scurries along back to hell, God sends angels to comfort Jesus. So then finally, what can we take away from this story for our lives, for our own personal edification? There's a lot of different things that you could focus on. We kind of did an overview of the story itself. But I think the bottom line, for me at least, is God always provides a way to overcome temptation. He always provides a way out. He's faithful. He's always going to give you a choice. Jesus had a choice in His human nature. We have a choice as well. God always provides a way to overcome temptation. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 10.13, said this, "...no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man." God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful, and He is the one that will provide the way of escape. But we still have to make that choice. Do we want to choose to follow Jesus or Satan? So if you look back to the very first book, Chronologically, that was ever written in the Bible, the experience of Job. Job lost his family, he lost his fortune, he lost his friends, he almost lost his faith, and his wife turned against him. But God provided a way out of that situation for Job. If you look back to the book of Genesis, the first one in the chronological order, God provided a way out for Joseph. He was sold into slavery, his brothers sold him into slavery. And then this guy named Potiphar had this amazingly beautiful wife and Joseph was tempted by her. But God provided a way out. And then finally with Jesus and the temptation that we just read about. Jesus was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. God provided a way out for Jesus. So whatever temptation you're going through this week, because it will come, God will provide a temptation. God will provide a way out for you and for me, but we have to choose it. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word that helps us to draw closer to you, to come to you uh, with our hearts full, and to understand that we need your help in every stage of life. God, we know that we are tempted on a daily basis. But we also thank you that even God, when we fail and we give in to temptation, we have an advocate. We have Jesus Christ who never gave in to temptation. That way, when he gave his life on the cross and he died on the cross for our sins, all those temptations that we gave into are canceled and wiped away. So, guys, we come into this time of communion, let us think about that. Let us think that Jesus took the wrath that we deserved so that we can be called children of God. Help us this day and this week. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.